100 miles is not that far. Welcome to Training for Ultra, the podcast. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast, uh, episode number 73. Welcome to episode 73 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra, and this episode's exciting. So we're going to start off 2019, season three of the Training for Ultra podcast, sort of with a bang here, how to run 100 miles with Carl Meltzer. He's sort of a legend in our sport. I mean, many of us wear his his shoes, you know, his hokas that have um, had his namesake on them. And I felt like, let's take a different perspective here, because hearing his story from beginning to end is like, it's been done before. It's amazing. So don't, I, I highly recommend anywhere you can find a Carl Meltzer podcast episode or movie on YouTube or whatever, check it out. He's he's a man, even, even David Goggins in his book, uh, talks about how Carl blew past him and how uh, he was just like on a different level. So Carl's Carl's an inspiration. Um, he's been doing this for a long time, and I I truly look up to him. So I really enjoy the episode. And it's 2019, season three of the Training for Ultra podcast. I can't believe we're still going here, and I'm excited because we we switched up sponsorships. You know, it's a time to be thankful for you know previous relationships and celebrate new relationships and this this season i have four title sponsors and we even have a sponsor for this episode so i'm just very thankful for their support along with the patreon supporters makes it all work without you guys i i just don't know if this would all work so truly appreciate you guys hammer nutrition i think this is my third year um, as an athlete if you haven't used them want to try them out i use their gels perpetuum recoverite and uh, fizz in every race I do, primarily um, just hitting the the gels every 45 minutes. You know, feel free to use my promo code 2528888. You'll save 15% off your first order. Big thank you to Ultimate Direction is now a new title sponsor. They make some really high quality packs. My very first pack back in the day was um, a UD pack, and I definitely am excited to use all their products in you know throughout 2019 they'll definitely be coming through for me big time in the triple crown i know that it just requires a little extra gear a little a little tougher gear because you can't be out there at 2 a.m when it's uh, zero degrees and not you know have a, a quality jacket pair of pants um you know you have to actually rely on your gear a little bit more when things get extreme so very excited to bring Ultimate Direction along with me throughout all my races in 19. Uh, Destination Trail, big time supporter. Love what Candace Burt is doing, you know, with her podcast, what she does for the community, and her her race team is just unbelievable. Uh, top quality aid stations, and I'm I'm just really excited. I really wanted to do Orcas Island 50. In May, I just can't get it in my schedule. I have some family commitments. Um, but yeah, check out their website. If you're on the West Coast or even if you're looking for sort of a 
destination <laughs> trail adventure. Um, you know, definitely check them out. Uh, I can't speak more highly of their races. And last but not least, Exoskin. I'll be, again, wearing their socks and calf sleeves at every single race in 19. They got me through Moab, and I'm just very excited to be working with them. If you'd like a promo code, use T, the number 4U20, for 20% off. And again, I, I'm super excited for this lineup. Like These are um, four companies that I really, truly believe in, and it's very easy to mention them and wear their gear and use their nutrition and whatnot. I'm sorry I'm a little under the weather, but we have the Speed Goat, Carl Meltzer, on this episode. Really awesome. Don't forget to enjoy your training. And this is episode 73. We have a episode-specific sponsor, Prevail Botanicals. They make a CBD oil that's a topical, so you just rub it on the top of your skin. And instead of using an Advil or a leave during a race, they actually have a, a smaller one for the trail that you can throw in your pack. And if you're having, I don't know, some leg pain, and Michelle Barton's talked about using this before, how you can just apply it directly on your leg or wherever um, you're feeling some small pain and it helps alleviate that. So it's CBD oil and it's uh, THC free, so it's not like going to get you high or anything like that. It's just a, a pain remedy and they are nice enough to be the episode sponsor. So awesome having them and enjoy the episode. Enjoy your training. See you guys. It's a big honor to have the speed goat Carl Meltzer on the Train for Ultra podcast. Carl, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Ron, for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to do another podcast. I mean, I think I could take the whole hour of this episode and just mention your 100-mile wins, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to save the uh, monotony of that uh, for another day. But I wanted to take this episode and really focus in on the 100-mile distance. I figure there's very few people in the world I could talk to that have even run the number of hundreds that you've done, but mm -hmm. then to have won so many and to be consistent throughout time, I, I really wanted to dig into, you know, because there are so many podcasts and videos out there on what you've done with FKTs and, and whatnot, I wanted to pick your brain more from maybe like a coach perspective on how do I need to train to, you know, make that 100-mile start line feeling good and being able to finish it. And then I want to hear more about how you actually run a hundred miles. And then I want to hear how you recover because you've done this mm -hmm. year in, year out consistently. Um, and I, I look up to you a lot on how you handle yourself with recovery and your base level, you know, mileage and how you're healthy throughout mm -hmm. the years. So I know that was long winded. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> from, from, well, from a training perspective, um, you know, I, I yeah, I mentioned on social media a little while ago, but how can someone run hundreds on sixty miles a week? But it, <laughs> I don't what, know. That's right? what that's why I contacted you. <laughs> right, right, nice. That comment. So, so the funny thing is, um, those sixty miles aren't you know running around the, the the church park. You know, we're talking about mountains. We're talking fifteen thousand feet of climb with that 60, 60 miles. That's a rough number of like vertical gain that I'd get in a distance. So so I'm out there a little longer than you know, just a 60 mile road running schedule. It's probably more equivalent to like a 90 mile a week road running schedule if that's what I was doing, you know, on easier terrain. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a little skewed. It sounds a little like I'm not doing that much, but you know, I work hard. I make an effort at, um, making every run count. 
And that includes not only, you know, running harder sometimes, but also running easier where I, where I focus on, you know, if I'm really tired, I'll go out and wander around the woods for a while. And I just say, okay, this is a recovery day. The watch stays at home. Um, you know, and to keep your watch at home, what's the point of really going hard? You really don't know what your time is anyway. Yeah. So you're sort of on feel that kind of thing. So I do focus a lot on recovery and, and easy days just as much as I do on hard days. But the thing is, I like to get out there, you know, so it's not hard to push me out the door. I don't care if the weather's bad. You know, if someone tells me they ran inside on the treadmill because it's raining out. I'm like, why <laughs> would you do that? Um, go enjoy the rain, right? I mean, it's the, the thing is I put myself in positions where sometimes I have to uh, not struggle through them, but I have to force myself to get out there. But every time you finish that run in the rain or the snow or whatever the reason is, um, you always feel better about it. Um, I've always taken my training as uh, more of a fun approach as opposed to real scientific um, data and all that kind of thing. I mean, I still run with the Casio watch. You know, it has the stopwatch and it tells me what time of day it is. Um, I can probably tell you how fast my pace is without even looking at that watch anyway. So I don't get too far into gadgets, but I think that's what keeps me in my happy place of not getting too technical and worried about things. So I'm stressing out about doing a hard workout now when I'm when I'm told I need to do it. I, I do it when I feel good. And, you know, that may not be every week. It might be every 10 days. It might be every third day. It just kind of depends how my body feels. And that's, that's how I've treated my training mostly for, you know, I've been an ultra for 23 years now. And um, it's gone by really fast. It's amazing that I'm 51 years old. But um, I've learned how to just listen to my body and not, or stay away from really injuring myself, you know, in a bad way. And I've so, had small injuries, of course, but um, nothing really major. I've how, been really lucky. How, how many of your runs are that hard kind of race effort versus – and I don't even know if race effort is hard for you. Um, right. Well, if you're running hundreds, your race effort shouldn't be all out because you're not running that hard. That's not really race effort. 100-mile race effort is just cruiser. You know, it's cruiser pace. It's conversation pace, really. But when you do hundreds, it's a matter of, like, how long can you hold that conversation pace? How long can you keep – uh, the positivity between your ears. Um, that's, I think, where my strength lies is that, you know, I was talking to a friend just the other day about, you know, I, I coined the phrase 100 miles is not that far about 10, 12 years ago. And that phrase really came from at when I finished the Appalachian Trail because 100 miles is nothing when it comes to doing 2,200 miles for 50 days in a row where you're constantly, every morning you wake up and you have to go all day long until until it ends, you know, which could be anywhere from 12 to 18 hours later. Once I did that, um, my viewpoint of like what was really hard really changed because the AT is way above and beyond any 100 miler. I don't care how hard the 100 is. There's nothing like the AT and there's nothing like getting out there for seven weeks in a row, eight weeks in a row of constantly doing it. And if you can do that through that mentally, then there's no reason you can't run 100 miles or walk 100 miles or whatever. It doesn't really matter your speed. But just you're you're able to do it if you if you uh, just tell yourself you can, you know. Um, but I've, I've done a lot of them, so I mean I know what it feels like to stand on that start line. It doesn't make me nervous anymore. Never really did. After about four or five, I just be like, whatever. We'll just see what happens today. And I think you have to have a, to to do well with these hundreds. You really just have a good attitude and accept the part, accept the fact that you will have bad patches because we all do. Um, I've run, you know, about 70 times, 100 miles, and about five of those races were races that really, really clicked, right? Like, really nailed it. 
Um, a lot of them I always had bad patches. So I learned how to talk myself out of the bad patches and just be positive all the time. And you that's, live once, so I'm going to die later, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, that's kind of how it is. I mean, we're well, all like that. I'm, I'm curious because I've, I've heard you say that before. What are the like, two or three races that were flawless for you? The hundred mile distance. Yeah. Um, well, there was okay. There's a couple. There's a race called San Diego 100. Most of us are familiar with that one. Um, it's a different course than it is now, but I ran 15:48. It was my third hundred in a period of six weeks, and I'd won the two previous hundreds before that. It was 2006, and I won Bear or I won Wasatch, and then I won Bear two weeks later, and four weeks later I went to San Diego, and I was just one of those days that. You start running out. Josh Brimhall was really the most of the competition there, and he's fast. Um, but I was just, I mean, I just ran it, and I got faster and faster and faster until the finish line hit me. I just felt great, wow. like, the whole time. And that race is really one of my best. That record still stands, even though the even though the uh, course is different. But that course was tough. It was all in the PCT. It was, um, it was, it was tough, you know. That was one in particular that was really good. Uh, the Hard Rock one I ran 24-38. Yeah, was you know now the record's two hours faster than that, but at the time when I did that race, I was just again I was just like San Diego. I was just focused on fire, no flaws all the way to the end. I knew where the guys were behind me, um, you know roughly, and, and I was slowly increasing my lead on Troy Howard, who also ran like 26 hours that day. He ran great, um, but I was just nothing was stopping me. I mean, I flew into the finish line the last five or six miles down. I think it's called Putnam Gulch, and I was just cruising, you know, like it didn't even hurt. Um, stuff like that ha- you know, doesn't happen very often. Those two races, um, probably the two best hundreds, uh, and then another really another great hundred was Massanutten, when I actually did not win the race, but um, I raced a Korean guy named Sim Yai Duck or Duck Yai Sim or Sim Duck Yai or I'm not sure. <laughs> um, no offense to his name, but uh. But the bottom line is he he really pushed me that day, and I ran 17.59 on that course, and that was he beat me by 20 minutes. But I chased him all day, and I was just I didn't know who he was, you know. So I always thought I was going to catch catch him, but you know, with like six or seven miles to go, he was 20 minutes ahead of me, and I'm like, I'm not catching him. <laughs> um, but I really did run strong. I was mentally into it, and I was just kind of powerful every time, every uphill downhill that I went on, and. You know, those races are few and far between. You can always you always hope for those days, but uh, sometimes you don't really know if they're going to happen. But when they happen, you remember them pretty well. I mean, I, just, I, don't, you know, I don't remember all the hundreds I've run. You know, I've done so many of them now. I was like, I can't even remember what my times were sometimes. But um, it's just I'm just glad I can still do it at this point. Yeah. Uh, getting slower, <laughs> but I, uh, but that's okay. I accept that. I mean, that. I, I would be happy with any sub 24 hour, 100 miler, even if it's the flattest, easiest mm-hmm. track ever. I mean, it's 100 miles is still 100 miles. Um, and flat is not easy. Flat doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. You that's know? true. That's um, true. It, it pounds the same thing. My, you know, sure, my best 100 mile time is 14.18, and it's Rocky Raccoon. Wow. Man. And that's a good time, you know. Um, I was like fifth that day. I was, I didn't win. I certainly didn't win. Ian Sharman ran like twelve forty five or something. But you know those races are hard because they pound the same muscles over and over, and you don't get that opportunity to walk. And when you don't have when you don't have an opportunity to walk, it just makes it that much harder. You know. Yeah. I mean the hilly mountain races. You know, with the exclusion of maybe Hard Rock or UTMB or the really bigger ones, I like the rolling kind of 
courses now as opposed to the really tough course because you know you get to run it's a little bit faster but you also get to walk yeah and as i get older i do get slower my climbing speed is not what it used to be my dad can still go downhill all right but my up but my uphill just isn't the same um so i kind of tend to go to my strength again and just try to like do my best at where i'm my best which is technical stuff yeah uh, um so if i'm training for a hundred miler and I really, really like this. I forget what video. I think it was probably a Hoka video that you had done. You talked about utilizing races as long runs, essentially. And I've I've fallen back on that myself. I have I'm not a coach. You know, I don't have anywhere near the experience you do. I mean, tell me how you think about you know utilizing a 50k or a 50 mile or even a 100k race. You know, going into the 100 mile race like that goal race of yours. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't use every, every race can't be your, your a goal. Right. Um, I think, I don't think it should be. I, you know, there's a lot of guys out there and the younger guys now, they, we all love to watch them go out as hard as they can and see if they can hang on. Right. Uh, <laughs> we love, exactly. we love to see carnage, right? Uh, it's fun. Um, it's fun to watch. But for me, a, a great example of a training race was the last race I ran, which was Hellgate. Okay. So it was 67 miles. It wasn't short. Um, but I went to that race knowing that um, I just wanted to run and cruise it and sort of get my head back into it. And the whole idea is to not worry about it actually being a race. I just considered it a run, and it sort of jump-started me into getting back into training. I had a little bit of a low after Western. I had a kind of a crappy second part of the summer, um, and it was all between my ears. It wasn't my body. It was just between my ears. But, but the thing is, when you use races as practice races as, as opposed to – say you run a 50K and it's a practice race – um, what you learn is you learn how efficient you are, what your body feels like when it starts to hurt. You learn how to be efficient at aid stations. Um, because you're casual, you're not stressed out. Um, it's okay. It's always great to go into a race with a real plan. You know, you can, I've seen more people with, um, split charts and what they're going to eat at mile 72 and then at mile <laughs> one. And guess what? No one ever eats what they write down. Okay. No one's going to suck down a cliff bar or whatever bar at mile 85 when you don't want a, a bar, you know. Um, the, those kind of plans, I don't really have to go into a race with major plans anymore like that. I, I mostly will rely on gel anyway and soda of some sort. It um, doesn't really usually matter what kind, but um, I don't have to go in with a plan anymore. And I think a lot of people go in with, with too much too much information, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you just kind of have to go do it and see how your body reacts and, and accept the lows. And when the lows happen for me now, because I've done it so many times, I kind of laugh at myself like, oh, here's my bonk, you know, or <laughs> maybe not bonk, maybe just a low point. But I laugh at that because it's what it is, you know. I mean, the best way to get out of that is just to stay positive and, you know, again, again eat and drink and all that. But it's really about what's between your ears. That's um, cool. I how, plan how- it's a golf when I don't think about my golf swing. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, how how long does it take you to get out of a bonk during a race? Do you have like almost – have you gotten to the point where you're like, okay, set my watch for 20 minutes and I'll be out of this? Well, no. I think I think the whole idea when you, when you have that low point, um, you just have to kind of keep charging on. Usually, you know, low points when you still – when you start feeling tired and you're just like not having energy, it really is just about putting – sugar in your body yeah Um, you put the sugar in you get the energy and then it kind of comes back if you're having a problem with your belly um, which you know many people do um, it really is about eating some more food 
it kind of just depends. It's weird. It's weird. It's kind of a catch-22. If you're eating too much food and you have belly problems and you don't want to eat food, you sort of want to like nibble on it very lightly. If you have a really a really low po- low point, um, like I would, if I have a low point, it's because I don't have enough calories because I go very much on the edge, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really a better way to race better, even though it's a little more risky. Um, but that's how you run a faster time without taking too much food in. So I always know like I can feel when I need another gel, you know, and bottom line is it's about every 25 minutes. Um, I don't even have to go by my watch anymore. I can just, I just feel it. Um, I just, you know, usually an hour would be the longest it would take to get out of a bonk. Um, you know, it depends. Western States, I walked the last 20 miles last year. Oh gosh. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't really bonking. I just was, I was really just kind of low on energy. I was a little discouraged because I fell off what I thought I could do. And, and I still think I could do that. You know, I still think I can run that 1843 or whatever the time is uh, for over 50. But um, do I care that I didn't get it? Well, sure, it hurt a little bit. You know, it stung a little bit when it was over. But do I care now? No, I really don't. Um, do I care about going back to Western? No, I don't. Uh, it's I, I made my effort. Didn't happen. Move on and forget about what the past was like because you can't like change, you can't change the past. You know, yeah. I mean, you can, you can only look to the future. And I'm sure that's been said a million times, but that is the truth. You know, you can't uh, you can't change what happened yesterday, um, but you can try to improve on what happened the other day. So I just try to look for ways to improve and tries to way try try ways to stay steady in races. And you know, if that means me being a little slower nowadays, that's that's the truth. You know, I could I go out hard with the boys for a little while and try to hang on, but what good is that going to do me? <laughs> I'm going to blow up later. So. So what's the point? So I just kind of I race on I race my own race. Um, I always have, even back to the beginning of when I started running ultras. I didn't really worry worry about other people what other people do. I just worried about what I did and try to take care of myself. And usually that would, with winning forty times, it usually pans out all right. You know. I was, so, was going to say rewind, rewind the podcast. <laughs> just listen to that segment over and over and over because you you can't control what other people are doing. No. You, and you, you can only destroy yourself. <laughs> you can't you don't want to run with a group of five guys or girls or whatever and and think that this is my good pace. Well, mate, if it's a little bit too fast, then it's not your pace. Or if it's a little bit too slow, it's not your pace. You have to like learn learn to find what your comfort zone is, and then just try to stay in that comfort zone. And then your body will give you what it has. By the end of the day, you know when the race is over, if you can stay in that right zone the whole time, mentally and physically, then you're going to have. A, a decent time, you know, um, yeah. then you go back to the second year and it maybe improve on it. I mean, I've, I've never run my fastest time the first year that San Diego was the third time I ran it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I didn't run my, I don't run my fastest time the first year. So it's always a learning experience the first time when I go to a race. And then the second time it's like, okay, I know what my splits were, or I know what I felt like then. And we'll see what happens this year. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what I run at Lone Star 100 in about four weeks from now. Because last year, it's three loops, and it, I was 6.30, 7.40, and like 9.30 or something in the last loop. Now, I had a big lead on the last loop, and I knew that, so I didn't push the pace. Yeah. But, but um, And I didn't have to, so I, didn't, I really didn't make that extra effort. I just wanted to be like, don't kill yourself. Make sure you win, but don't kill yourself. And that's kind of how that finished. But this year, um, it, it may or may not be the same scenario. I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see if I can if I do like the same thing, you know. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Um, to, that's the fun part about to it. Follow that. I I'm 
I'm just blown away. I mean, <laughs> I pulled up your ultra sign up and I saw the 151 trophies and I'm like, <laughs> I would I would kill for one of those. In well, here, I got I'll, plenty in the basement in a box if you want to come by and pick them up. <laughs> I, I'll be by <laughs> next weekend. Um, <laughs> so let's let's talk about your training going into this race, like. How many 50 milers do I need to do until you think I can do a 100 miler? How many 50Ks? How many 100Ks? Um, I, I'm trying to regress back to when, you know, I first started. I had zero 100 milers under my, you know, humble belt. And it, I'm just trying to, um, I mean, what's minimum? What What minimum, if I'm working 80 hours i have a family of seven and like very limited training how do i how do i get out the door and train and, and actually accomplish a hundred miler well if you're working 80 hours i don't know if <laughs> okay ask the wrong person <laughs> well <laughs> asking the wrong guy here but well, and you might be asking the wrong guy of how many you need to do because my first ultra was the wasatch 100 <laughs> that's true I just jumped, well i jumped into the mix right but i didn't know what to expect at that time and i sort of i was just like up to accept the challenge and see like it's funny because i stood on that start line you know i didn't sleep at all the night before um now i sleep like a baby no big deal but then i didn't um I was carrying six old rock-hard power bars in my fanny pack that was bouncing all over the place. I ate about a half of one of those through mile 40 where I was leading the race, and then all the wheels came off and it became a struggle. But <laughs> anyway, see, I, I got it done. You know, I, I was determined to get to the finish line, and I did that. And what that taught me is that I'm I can be pretty tough at this. You know, I mean, I didn't want to run another race for about a couple days, but then I was like, where do I sign up? Just like everybody else. Um, after the soreness goes away. But if you really want to progress to a 100-miler, I think do a couple 50K. The 50K is I mean, that's essentially a marathon, but the 50-miler will take you out of your comfort zone. It will put you out there a lot longer where you have to run sore, you know? Right. Um, your, your legs are sore. You're, you're tired. You're low in energy. You sort of want to teach yourself how to, how to fuel, and I think that's people's biggest problem is some will say, you know, the 100 mile, oh, it's just a, it's a 100 mile buffet. Well, if you eat too much, it doesn't go down the funnel, it comes back up and then you're screwed, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's, I think what happens with a lot of people is they want to eat so much, they, they try to eat so much early on and all of a sudden they're like, why, why am I having problems? Because they're eating too much. There has to be like the IV drip method of like consuming calories. Right. And I think once you figure that out, um, then you're in, on the right track. Uh, and a 50 mile can help you do that. Um, 50k is a little bit depends how hard it is and how long it takes you, but um, that's sort of like a teaser, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could do one of those with three gels and right. not not really train essentially for a hundred miler, you know. Yeah, right? yeah. Get it done, you know, yeah. and you'll finish it, and it's a cool. I finished an ultra, but when you start getting talking about, you know, the hundred is like a lot of times we used to say that the hundred is kind of like three fifties, because um, the first 50 right. miles. Yeah, you, you know, you're all right. But the second 50 miles, why does it always take two hours longer? <laughs> um, and that's and that's on a good day. Um, it's just more of a struggle. You have to go out and challenge yourself and accept the fact that it's going to hurt. Um, it will be over in one day or a day and a half or whatever it is. And you have to accept the fact that, you know, you just got to keep moving forward. And I think a lot of the, the real inspiration of ultra running is, you know, there's a lot of people running fast times weren't doing incredible things, but the inspiration comes from the back of the pack. Um, 
all the hundreds that have hung around afterwards, which are quite a few of them, and I love to see the last couple hours because in, that's the real inspiration of the people that were out there barely making the cutoffs or barely the making August. Yeah. That kind of stuff is like pretty emotional for those people crossing the line. Go to Leadville and like everybody's bawling when they cross the line, you know, at the end of the, at the back of the pack. And it's, it's kind of it's really cool to see that those people taught themselves or, or um, understand that they actually can do it, you know. Uh, it just takes it's really a lot of mental power and once you learn that mental power it it gets a little easier but it but it's always it's always going to be soreness you're always going to hurt but um you just got to keep doing it and keep plugging away at it i mean if you're if you're working 80 hours a week have seven kids i don't know if i have an answer to that um you better learn, <laughs> that was you better, a little extreme i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> uh, i don't have kids i have two dogs that i walk every morning for about an hour and that's about my my most of my responsibility i can't put my kids in the crate unfortunately so. yeah right <laughs> i mean it's we all have you know our lives we all have to show up our lives in certain ways and i think whatever happy balance is there for you is what what you want to do if you want running if you want to be um, the best runner that you can, you have to sort of maximize your time. And again, maximize your, your rest. You know, you can only do so much on so much sleep. I mean, if I, if I was allowed to only sleep, say, six hours a night, I would probably be ruined all the time because I sleep like nine hours a night. Interesting. And yeah, people have – sorry, guys. <laughs> That'd be like the best night of sleep of my life. <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, and that, that contributes to performance. Um, it's the bottom line. I mean, you can't, you can't hide that. But um, I've been able to sort of manage my world uh, where I can be a runner, you know. I mean, when I worked at Snowbird as a ski bum, I was there from 89 till 2007, I think. So it was 17, 18 years. And the funny thing is, is I, I wanted to run, you know. I wanted to ski, obviously, in the winter. But in the summertime, I wanted to run. So I focused on working as little as possible. I mean, I had to make ends meet, of course, you know. But, but um, I lived with friends. I mean, this typical classic ski bum life. And uh, I made it. I made it work, you know. And I've never been the guy that goes out there to to worry about my bank account. Um, again, got to make ends meet. But I'm not really trying to die with money in my grave, you know. My, in theory, I die with one dollar left, right? Exactly. I, I forget <laughs> who it was. Was it Jefferson? He didn't want to die with a bottle of wine in the cellar. I mean, what's the point? What? Right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, am I? odd to think that like essentially it's all relative for a hundred miler like do whatever training gets you to the point where mentally you think you can run a hundred miles is that like a weird like no, right? just a I mean, base level fitness like like just to finish a hundred miler do whatever training that you need to do to mentally believe that you can do it and obviously practice the basics of hydration and nutrition yeah, and whatnot great. sounds like good advice i mean it's like you can't you know the, the let's see the time on the feet method is it's not something that i think is really smart that just trains you to run really slow so i yeah. think you're better off to run a little more quality than quantity so when you when you have only an hour or or something like that you know if you can you don't want to do it every day but make it more of a quality workout get your heart rate up a little bit higher yeah. um you, you have to do that in order to make yourself more fit in simple terms but you have to be confident when you get on the start line and say, I can do this. I mean, when I got on that start line, the first watch touch 100, I had no clue. I, mean, I was running like 35 miles a week, right? Um, they were all mountain miles, but there really wasn't many miles, you know? I mean, eight hours a week of running, maybe? Yeah. At the most, at the most. 
And but when I got to that start line, yeah, I was nervous, um, and I was slightly intimidated, but I wasn't afraid of it. You know, I went out to say, okay, well, what what's going to happen? I mean, I end up running. I was running, like I said, I was leading at mile 39. I was with Tim Spence, the guy who ended up winning the race, and I. I really I had no clue what I was doing. I had no idea why they were salt on the aid station tables. <laughs> and I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't really know what to eat. I kind of, I don't even remember what I ate. Um, I know I probably had crepes for breakfast. That's like my favorite thing. But, but I didn't know. But I learned from it. You know, I mean, I, I never once got late in the race and said, oh man, I feel like dropping out or quitting. That wasn't, that wasn't an option. You know. I was determined to get to that damn finish line. I mean, I wasn't fighting cutoffs, of course, you know. So I wasn't like feel I wasn't feeling pressure from that at all. I had plenty of time to to get to the end. I mean, I last I think it took me 12 hours to go the last 25 miles, which is slow, but but I got there, you know. Um, and I think after I finished it, and then I you know my soreness went away, and and I decided that I wanted to do it again. Um, I knew that I could. I was confident that I could finish the thing. It was just a matter of like, okay, how fast will I do it next time? You know, that first time was 28.26. The second time was 23.35. Third time I won it and broke the record. So I improved, I improved. you know, now the record's a lot faster again still. And that course was actually easier. But, but the bottom line is, is that I gained confidence by not um, feeling like I was ever going to fail. That's huge. I mean... Yeah, I think so. So, I, so how, how do I incorporate, because... I've talked to a lot of elite ultra runners that have the physical capability of winning whatever hundred they sign up for, but mm. you know, maybe they don't have a hundred mile victory because mentally it just hasn't clicked yet. Um, I feel like you of all people have figured out mentally how to train for a hundred miler. Do you have any advice on how to incorporate some type of training method to help you mentally prepare for 100 miles well i think it's important to, to try to train on uh terrain that the race will be on and i don't know if that's really part of the question but no it's in, great I, advice well i mean it's 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 no-brainer advice i mean if you want to run leadville which is at you know ten thousand and higher the whole time and you're from florida yeah. it's probably a mistake exactly. you know i know leadville's classic or western or whatever but you know first go to a race that you're comfortable with the terrain. Don't put yourself in a funky place where, you know, what, why would Carl want to run around a track for 24 hours? Well, I don't know. You know, that's I would, I'm sorry, but I'm not. I did that once. I tried it, and I'm out. Oh, but, come on, desert solstice. Oh, I, ran, I ran 70 miles in San Diego one year, late in the outside lane for six hours and drove home. But uh, you know, I think it's important to train on terrain that you're going to race on. If you can see the course, that gives you a little more confidence of what you have in front of you. Um, but take advantage of, take advantage of when you feel good is, you know, push the pace a little bit, but the only way you're really going to learn how to run a hundred, you can listen to me talk all day long about it, but you have to go do it. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, fast guys out there that have run. I mean, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot here, but there are some really fast guys out there right now that come from a track background that one of them nailed Western States last year. Incredible, right? Awesome. At Jim, well, I'll say Jim. I'll I was going to try to joke about that, but yeah, yeah, well, Jim. Jim is Jim is, I think, probably one of the most talented runners I've ever seen. I mean, he's the dude is so fast. Yeah, and I run with him. I can't run with him. I'm like, his stride is twice as long as mine. <laughs> it, it is. 
you know, um, I'm just a shuffle boy compared to him. But but the bottom line is he hasn't really nailed. He still really hasn't nailed the hundred mile distance yet. He did nail Western States one time, but it was 15 hours. He hasn't nailed the big mountain hundred. He went to UTMB. He he has the ability to beat everybody yeah, there, including place. including yeah. Kelly, mm-hmm. including Francois. I agree. Um, but he hasn't. I don't think he's mentally. He needs to. He needs to nail it once to mentally say, yeah, I can. I can do this. And when he does that, then we might see even more special is things it, come from him. Is that like the discipline aspect? Does he need to? Like increase the discipline, or is it the ability to suffer? What what? Well, what the ability men- to suffer. What mental what mental yeah. aspect does Jim need to nail a UTMB this year? Which I think there could be actually really good potential for that actually happening. Yeah, I mean he's you know he. I don't want to say he's reckless. He's a little reckless, but he but but in order to run performances that he can do, you have to be confident. You have to be a little reckless. You know. I mean, records don't come from the guy sitting back in the pack for the first half of the race. The records usually come for the guy that goes for it. And, you know, Zach Miller's the same way. Those guys go for it. And I think, it's like I said, it's fun to watch. Carnage happens. Um, Jim just needs a little bit, maybe, maybe just a little more discipline on, on uh, I'm going to say running smart. But yeah. But, it's funny when you have that kind of talent, like Kelly Jornet too, and you know those guys that are so talented and so fast, it's hard to hold back. You know, I mean, when you're they're, when you're basically, even though they're going very fast at the front of the pace of say UTMB, the pace is still easy for them. You yeah. know, until yeah. until someone puts a couch on their back at mile sixty and says, now now keep running, right? It's almost like check your ego to the point like. 20th place is okay for the first 50 miles like it totally is and it's almost like the jeff browning method like just focus on you running what you're capable of for 100 miles and know exactly what that distance is or you know know yourself like a a carl Meltzer for a hundred mile pace well when Um, i go into 100 one of my focuses is that um regardless of whatever i finish when I reach mile 60, or even sometimes 50 or 40, it just depends on the course sometimes, but um, my goal is to not get passed by anybody after, say, mile, let's just say mile 50. That's so cool. I'll start slow that's enough really that cool. I, I think I can, like, nobody's behind me, you know, that's going to that's gonna catch me later, but I'm fast enough. I think, for me, that's always been my goal. So my idea is to say, like Jeff Browning, the same way, um, you know, you're 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 in Cormier mile 45 at, at UTMB, and he's in say 20th place. His goal will be not to get passed again. If he stays, if he does that and not doesn't get passed again, and probably passes a few others that went too fast, he's had a great race. You know, he's he played his hard. Played his hard. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. when you go out hard and you and you and you people start getting you at the end, and it's like, I could have been better because I could have laid back just a little bit. All the time is gained from a racing perspective. All their time is really gained on the clock in the last. 25% of 100. It has nothing to do. You go out fast, you're not gaining much. But if you're still running well, jogging well, really, at the last 25 miles, you're going to gain a lot more time per mile than you would early in the race where you gain 20 seconds a mile as opposed to later when you gain three minutes a mile. You so, know? I mean, we're on we're on the topic of, of Jim Walmsley. You guys are starkly different in the fact that Jim was doing, God, like 140-mile weeks in his buildup to UTMB, yeah. um, you you've run UTMB a few times. I'm trying yeah. to recall. I mean, what what was your base 
mileage? Like, what was your ramp into UTMB? Uh, were you focused on time on your feet, invert, and that sort of thing? Or, like, do I need to be doing 140-mile weeks? I was if doing I'm going to be a top 10, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I was running about 70. And, and uh, you know, same kind of terrain as UTMB. I live in the Wasatch, so it's yeah. pretty much the same as, U- as UTMB. Pretty similar. Um, UTMB is actually probably smoother than a lot of stuff that I run on here. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, no, I, I don't really. My body doesn't work. My body would not work on 140 mile weeks. Now I know I did 350 mile weeks on the AT, <laughs> but but it's different because you're hiking, going a lot slower. Um, to actually run 140 mile week, I don't I I don't know if I could even do it once to say okay, if I'm going to run 20 miles a day, I'm going to run a couple two twice a day, or you know. Um, to accumulate that mileage, my body doesn't recover that fast. I mean, Jim comes from a really different background. His his 5K rec best time is like 13:52, I believe. <laughs> that's fast. Um, I think that's 10 minutes faster than my PR, basically. <laughs> pretty fast. Mine, mine was 16:19 when I was in high school, and I was you know 16 years old or whatever on a cross country course. That was my best. So that's like two and a half minutes, right? Jeez. For three miles. <laughs> so he, I mean, it, he, there's a different skill set there. There's he's way faster. It's just people have genetic, or he's genetically he's, gifted. He's to faster, run but has he run a hundred miles faster than you? Well, Western States he did. <laughs> have, have you run a hundred miles faster than that? Well, fourteen eight. I ran Rocky Raccoon, but so you're faster than Jim Wamsley <laughs> yeah. at a, at a hundred mile distance. Yeah, well, well I don't know about that. <laughs> but thanks for the compliment. But <laughs> sorry, but no, no, but but I know what you're saying though. Is like. To have that, it's it's really. I mean, fourteen thirty is seven fifteen for fifty miles, so it's like a nine minute mile, eight and a half minute mile. And for Jim, that's pedestrian. You know, yeah. even in the mountains, it's kind of pedestrian. And for me, when I was younger, it was pedestrian. I'm older now, so and yeah, I'm a little slower. But the, the thing about getting older is that, and we all learn this as we get older, is that the recovery time just takes longer. You just, I can't go out and run 10 miles up and down mountains all day long. I hike most of the uphills now that I used to run when I was younger. And I just can't, I just, I just don't want to run them anymore. <laughs> I'd rather hike, you know? So I, my, but my recovery time takes longer. So, so I, I sort of have to try to maximize my training and to see what my body can handle and at the same time be able to recover for the next day. Um, another classic example of training is Matt Carpenter. And many of us probably remember him. And, He's probably still fast as shit, but and he doesn't race much anymore. But he is an amazing runner, and he. But one of his focuses, if you ask him how many miles per week he ever did back in his day, he did about eighty to ninety. Now, granted, he ran up and down Pikes Peak, um, things like that, you know. And nice, they were all nice, miles. easy, nice, easy. Uh, what was it like eight thousand feet of gain or something? Oh yeah, I'll just run to the <laughs> and have a coffee and come down, you know. Um, but but he but he one of his things that he always said was. It's not necessary to run longer training run than 20 miles in training because that's interesting. Yeah, and and I found that interesting too is because you can't recover for the next day after 20 miles or more, right? You I mean some people may maybe they can, but um, generally speaking, the majority of the population, like 99%, cannot recover right. fast enough to to make your training effective. Um, so I try to make sure that whatever I run every day and it. I don't really know how far I'm going to run tomorrow. I might think in my head now I'm going to run 15, but I might run six. So it, it just depends how I feel and what how I recovered from today's run. Um, how, do I was, you, 
not to totally cut you off. How do you how do you listen to your body? How do you tell the difference between you being out there wanting to do six versus sixteen? Like, what are you listening to your tendons and like muscles, or is it more like mental? I think a little bit might be mental. Um, you know, someday if I wake up in the morning and I say to myself, "I don't want to run," I don't force myself to run. I'm just like, my body needs time off. There's my indicator. Boom. I'll go do something else. I just, and I, and I, and I find something else to do because I'll be itching to run all day, but well, not itching to run all day. I'll be itching to do something, but, but if I don't want to run, I won't run. You know, I won't force myself to run on junky legs. I didn't run yesterday because when I woke up in the morning, um, my legs felt like shit. <laughs> yeah. So I just was like, yeah, I'll take today off. And then when I went out today, my legs felt a lot better. So, I'm, so the way I look at that is I'm sort of maximizing my training when my body feels better. Um, and, you know, how do you listen to it? Well, when I when I get off the couch um, in about an hour from now <laughs> or whenever, whatever I'm doing, you know, I, I can feel like when I get up and look like I'm 80 years old when I walk over to the counter, um, I look so a little junky, you know. Um, it wasn't like that when I was 25 years old. I just get up and do whatever. But now it's a little different, so I kind of listen to my body. And some of the people that you know that I coach are in their 50s and sometimes in their 60s, and they have the ability to go all day, you know, five or six hours a day because they feel like they need to do all this extra long training. But the bottom line is, is that are you really recovered the following day, or are you just making yourself slower? Um, for an older person, it might even be better to take two days off a week, or roughly two days off every four days of running, or one day off after every four days of running all the time, you know. Um, I think I, I couldn't agree more, honestly, like in, I have zero experience relative to you, but my wife will ask me, are you going running after work? And I'm like, uh, the old me would have ran and gotten hurt today, mm-hmm. but I'll take today off just cause I'm listening really closely to how my legs feel essentially. I mean, yeah. is that, is that how you perceive it? Like your, your risk of injury is like way way higher than normal or how do you perceive like when to call it and just do something else yeah well injuries are overrated right no one likes to be hurt right Um, so of course not so when i when i listen to my body um a good another great example is a week ago right i i have some um I have a little issue with my left knee it's not major i've been running on it for three years and the entire at so it's not a big deal but every once in a while um, there's a little nerve branch that goes in through your knee. I think it's, I think it's called the perineal nerve. I'm not exactly sure, but, but I learned this from my doctor, not just from me looking on the internet, which is evil. Um, <laughs> <Web-MD>. <laughs> so, be able to diagnose yourself if you have no idea because so many different things can happen. But when I went to my doctor for this particular thing, um, I thought my hamstring was kind of jacked. Okay. Cause it was kind of just above my knee down in the lower center. Usually when your hamstring hurts is under your butt. But, but at any rate, I went to the doctor thinking my hamstring, I had a problem. And bottom line is the diagnosis was that I had some inflammation in the nerve branch that was down there. So he explained to me, he was an amazing doctor, he explained to me um, what to do when it hurts or when I feel, you know, when it feels wrong. Well, it felt a little wrong last week. Uh, and so I said to myself, my goal was to go for a three-mile run, which is very short, it, just on a single track route from my house, it's just pretty flat, a little rolly, but mostly flat. And my goal is to go through that run and for, and for it to not hurt. 
if it doesn't, if, if it feels great through three miles, I'm not allowed to keep going another four just to see if I can make it hurt. I'm going to stop before it hurts. So when I go through injuries, so the next the next day, so that I went through that first day and finished my run. It didn't really hurt. I'm like, cool. You know, I did whatever after that. Yeah. And the next day I said, okay, I'm going to go three miles again and I'm not going to make it hurt. And I didn't, it didn't hurt. Same, same scenario. One more day at three miles, same scenario. And then the next day I went for just a hike, not a run. So I'm not really pounding on it or working it as hard. So my goal when I have an issue is when I start to come back to running is to not make that injury or issue hurt while I'm out there. And if it does, I instantly stop and pull the plug. And if I have to walk a mile and a half home, I will walk a mile and a half home. And I've done that before. Those are long miles. Yeah, oh my God, I've, done, I've done that before. <laughs> they take forever, but it was the your, smart your decision. Your life. Yeah, yeah, it's a very smart decision, but, oh. Yeah. The thoughts <laughs> the thoughts that go through your head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even even from middle of the pack, back of the pack. Yeah, um, I mean, we're all the same. Yeah. I Let's talk about during your races, during a 100-mile race. I mean... Do you have, having done so many of these races and excelled at them, I want to hear about what you've nailed down, any kind of tips or tricks with, with hydration, nutrition. I mean, it sounds like, you know, dripping calories in as opposed to just, you know, eating the whole thing there. Um, And then mentally, like how, how do I handle mile 80 when I'm suffering like no other and. And any, any other thoughts of, like, during an actual 100-mile race that can help help me get through? I'm doing the Mohican 100. I don't know if you've done that one yet. I, I haven't done that one yet. I, I know of it for sure, though, yeah. you got to get out there at some point, Carl. Come on. Yeah, I need to it's on the list. Everything <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of races on the list, and I'm <laughs> running out of time. But I'm, um, I'm doing that race because it brings back such amazing memories. Like, well, it's important to me. Um, but, yeah, I want to hear about, like, any kind of – like during the actual race, what you'd recommend from back of the pack to even, you know, we have some elite runners that listen to this podcast too. Um, what advice do you have? Maybe, well, I mean, maybe Jim will tune in. Who knows? <laughs> He's running somewhere. <laughs> um, well, I just, I treat, you know, this is pretty cliche to say this too, but I, I treat it as, um, I don't really treat it aid station to aid station, which is, which is a fair thing to do. You know, one step at a time, one, one, uh, one inch station at a time and don't think of it as a hundred mile or think of it as a seven miler and then a nine miler and then a four mile or whatever. Um, I treat it as the teams, the twenties, the thirties, the forties, the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, and hundreds. So every 10 miles to me is like a section. Okay. So in the hardest sections are usually hardest section really is like mile, say 35 to 75 because you're sore at the mile 35. If you're not, you, maybe you increase the pace a little, but, or, you're, or you're having a great day, right? Yeah. But, but I mean, the bottom line is, is you, you know, everybody. What I've noticed in all these races too is that what happens the first 20 miles means absolutely nothing. After it's about three hours into a race, everyone sort of settles into their groove and they sort of settle settle into their pace. Um, granted, it gets slower as the race gets you know deeper into the race, especially the hundreds. But we all that's when we start to slow down. We can all do our normal training pace for 20 miles. But then it all starts to slow down. So I treat that as like, all right, the first 20 is like whatever. And then when I get to about mile 40, I'm like, all right, well, the next 30 is kind of the, oh, the 40s. You know, all right, well, I'm in the 50s. Uh, when I get to the next eight station, I'm in the 60s. And then I'm in the 60s again because that was a short section. Uh, yeah. But then when I'm in the 70s, I'm like, all right, I can. you can sort of 
you may not be able to smell the barn. Yeah. You can see it on the other side of the valley. <laughs> so it's over there. You know, like I, I treat everything as sections. And when the 70s, 80s, 90s come, and I know that, and again, I've finished it so many times, it's like I just tell myself, you know, in five hours it'll be done. Whatever. And just blink and you'll be done. And so do you push your pace a little bit more? Like knowing you have you have gas in the tank, like well, I, I don't I don't really want to leave any extra gas in the tank at the finish line, right? Um, unless it's necessarily like Lone Star, unless it didn't matter because I was so far ahead anyway. But but um, then I, then I'll leave as much gas in the tank as I, as possible to save myself to recover, you know? Yeah, that's that's a little different scenario. But um, I don't know if I push the pace more if you after mile seventy five. I just try to continue jogging because. The jogging is a lot faster than walking. Um, if you're jogging four and a, even if you're only jogging four and a half miles an hour or five miles an hour on a flat course, five miles an hour is a 12-minute mile. If you're walking as fast as you can, and I know this all about in the AT because of walking, you walk a lot there. It's, you can't really walk 3.7 miles an hour is about the fastest you can walk without it being uncomfortable. So if you're running five and walking 3.7. So it's like, um, what, 16 minutes a mile? Yeah, 3.7 is a 17-minute mile. Okay. Um, when I was on the AT, I was doing the math in my head all the time. But <laughs> oh, it was, it was ridiculous. If I had 7.4 miles, I could pinpoint exactly how long it would take me to get there for my crew. That's I didn't amazing. need the watch I, or the watch. I would just, like, tell them. But but at any rate, um, if you're, you can jog a little the last 30 miles, 25, 30 miles, then relative to the field, you're probably going to catch people. Right. Um. You know, and that's and that's inspiring. Every time you see the next oh, the next guy around the corner, oh, there's another guy, and you don't rush to catch up to him. You just kind of keep your jog going, and boom, you catch him pretty fast because he's walking. So, you're you're the speed goat, but you're also the pace master. How do how do I pace myself? You know, in the the previous seventy miles or whatever, so that I can actually continue for that last thirty. Like, how do you? How do you pace yourself throughout the race? Well, well, I say when one of my clients say, "Okay, running the first hundred, Well, they ask me that same question. You know, do I do I look at the watch? Well, every course will dictate your pace. Okay, I mean, if it's hilly, I can't tell you what your pace is going to be. <laughs> Depends how rocky it is, how good you are in the terrain. But if you go out on an easy run, say say you're scheduled to do a run, and you go for an easy six miler, let's just hypothetically say that took you an hour, just to make it easy, um, ten minute miles, right? Um, you, you shouldn't ever be running faster than your easy pace during the beginning of a, a hundred. Um, it has to feel easy, easy, easy for a while, like 30, 40 miles. Totally conversational. Yeah. I mean, if you're sucking wind, you're going too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, and I, and I'm, and I've been guilty of that too. You know, I get in big races and we were going up, uh, the first climb at hard rock or something and I'm sucking wind. Everybody is at altitude, but but the bottom line is, is like, then I'll just, you know, why do I have to keep up with, with Anna Frost? Bring back <laughs> memories. Why do I have to keep up with Frost uh, on this climb? Because it's mile four. I, so I will back off the throttle and let her go. You know? What would I do at Leadville, you know, during the marathon when I'm out of breath at the start line? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's Leadville. <laughs> and, and altitude is, I mean, that's a, that's a tough one, but... You have to just stay in the zone where it has to feel easy. If you want to make it hurt, make it hurt the last 20 miles when you know you're close. Don't make it hurt early because then then you're kind of setting yourself up for maybe not total failure but for for having that bad patch that will set you back and 
make it worthless to go faster early, you know. Um, again, you can run reckless. And, oh, there's my dogs. You can run reckless a little bit, but it usually won't. Um, you won't be successful at the end if you go too hard early. And that's the old cliche, but it's it's the truth. That's why it's that's why it sticks. It seems to be working for you. So, <laughs> so um, most of the time, anyway. Let's let's talk about. I mean, really quick. I want to hear what's your go-to aid station food, if you even pick anything out. And then I want to hear about your recovery process mm-hmm. after a hundred-mile distance. Yeah, my aid station food. I mean, I I will do my entire race on gel. So it'll either be EFS gel from First Endurance. As with a combination of other gels too, because I like to kind of mix up the flavors. You know, we all do. I think it's fair. I mean, First Endurance is my sponsor, but I can sit here and plug them all day long about only use this product. But the truth is, it's okay to mix it up. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's fair. Um, I agree. So I, I so like your honesty too on that. Well, like, you know, I'm not going to lie to people about what I do. It's just the truth. You know. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, so that's not really my go-to food. That's what I'll do for for a race. That's my my energy food. Um, I really do like um, soda. I mean, a lot of a lot of runners like soda. I mean, it would be Coca Cola. It would be red, one of the Red Bull flavors or something. It'll be really any soda will do. <laughs> um, but for some reason, um, that sugary, the corn, whatever it is, um, I don't know if it settles my stomach or not. I never really have stomach problems, but I like soda. You know, and it just tastes great when it's cold. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like. For for example, I like bacon. A lot of people love bacon, mm-hmm. um, but I won't eat a lot of it. It'll be like a kind of like it's kind of like putting a dip in your mouth, which I never do. But that's disgusting. <laughs> but in my in my opinion, but but uh, but I'll put it in my mouth just for that flavor, you know, um, just that salty flavor. Pierogies are great. Um, these are all things that you might see at uh, races. When I was on the Appalachian Trail, for example, though. You know, I was out there 45 days. After the third day, I didn't consume one lick of gel the entire time. All I did was eat real food. And by real food, I will, I will honestly say it was a lot of junk food. Um, it was a lot of – Jen Davis, same thing, junk food. Um, the craving for grease after a 100-miler is, I think for most people, a good juicy burger tastes pretty good. It's outrageous, yeah. It's amazing. It's like, and, you know, and the worst thing, like Kentucky Fried Chicken – I'm not going down. Oh, I'm not going down <laughs> to get a bucket tonight. But after the after a race, um, you know, I've had some chicken. But um, but from a but from a training perspective, like what am I doing on recovery? But definitely after a race, I'm not looking for that bucket of chicken. I'm looking for I will drink the Ultragen from um, First Endurance because that stuff is gold in a freaking bucket. And I'm a pest. I, I'm I don't really trust a lot of things until I really try them for a while. And that was one product that um, it actually works, you know. Uh, it'll, it's just a drink, so I'll slam that when I'm done the race. But then I'll then I'll slowly sip on it, and then start and then instantly start to try to eat food. It might be some potato chips. It might be just something very simple, because you can't just gorge yourself. Um, you kind of have to sort of treat that like an IV drip, but just keep eating after. And the whole idea behind that, and drinking of course too, the whole idea behind that is that you need to replace your nutrients. Um, Within 30 minutes after your hard exercise, because your cells are open for that to accept those nutrients easier. So you want to like you want to fill those things back up, those cells back up right away with the the good stuff first, which is the Ultragen or, or another recovery drink, whatever you drink, and and then start eating regular food before the bucket. 
Yeah. Yeah. Before the bucket. Before the combo meal. Yeah. Um, you'll hold you over for an hour, and then and then it's like, okay, I'm hungry again, and then you go eat whatever. So, um, if I opened your fridge right now, what flavor Red Bull would would be in there? Are you like the sugar free Red Bull? Or are you the because they have all kinds of flavors now. Yeah. It's not just Red Bull anymore. Yeah, no, I mean that's Red Bull. Regular Red Bull isn't it certainly isn't my favorite flavor now. It's the uh, I I really liked I really like the yellow, which is kind of like a um, fruity passion fruity kind of flavor. Yeah. Um, but I mean I, I kind of like them all because they're all kind of different. They're, the they're sugar free so ones, man. Their flavors are getting way too good. It's dangerous, like the lime and the yeah. acacia and. Uh. It's great with vodka. I, I haven't tried that yet. Well. Um, with with the alternative, don't worry. Back back in college, I've I've definitely tried the uh, stereotypical Red yeah. Bull flavor. Sure. Um, so just shifting out of that, I mean, so in terms of recovery, though, beyond food, I mean, are you are you running like the next day after a hundred miler? Uh, when I was younger, I used to run a little bit earlier after the races. Now I typically I'll go for a walk. Like I remember, I said I walk my dogs an hour every morning. Yeah. That's like the greatest thing for recovery for me anyway. At this point, after a hundred or even a fifty mile or whatever, because you want to keep moving. You don't want to sit still. Um, the following day, let's say the following day, if I'm worked over, say I ran Wasatch 100, so it's local, and I came home, and the following day I would I would kind of wander around my house. Find something to do that keeps me moving. Um, could be mowing the lawn. It could be something silly like that. But that's still motion, you know. Yeah. Um, laying on the couch and doing nothing is is really bad. I think you know I might move around in my backyard for 30 minutes, but then I'm kind of tired again. And then I'll sit on the couch for a little while or do something. But then I'll go back out and I'll walk around a little for a while again until I know that I I don't I won't start running until I feel like eh, I feel like going for a run today. And it might be three miles. It's not going to be. I feel great. I'm going to go for ten because then you're sort of, um, it's one step forward, two steps back if you do it too quickly. Um, I you know, a lot of times, agree. Couldn't yeah. agree more. I mean, from my middle of the pack at best perspective, and I I like when elites and like you know someone like you, Carl, says I just go for a walk after a hundred. Like, like it's check the ego. Like it's okay to walk and hike. Totally. Ian Sherman was the same way. Like, it, it's rare that people can actually admit like just going for a walk is great recovery. Um, well, you know, when you finish a hunt, finish the thing, and you go for a run, say say the race finishes Saturday afternoon or Sunday, and you go for a jog Tuesday, you know that jog can like tell you what hurts. All of a sudden, your calf starts cramping, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> you know, yeah. well, walk, walk it off. You know, there's no need to to really get after it. And a lot of those hundreds, when I won 400s in eight weeks in 2006, which is that, if there was a peak time of my career, that was it. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I, I that was the same one of the San Diego was in the, was the third one in that one. But what I did between those races was, I mean, I ran a little bit, but I didn't run that much. I mean, you know, when you have a two week span, it's like, well, how much do you do? You don't you you kind of walk and jog a little for a couple of days. You put in a six or eight miler by the next if you're lucky by the next Sunday and then you have a race the following Saturday. So what's the point of really running? You just keep moving and keep your legs as fresh as you can. Try to get to the start line feeling as fresh as possible, as opposed to thinking you're going to get training in for a week between hundreds. That's I'm sorry, but that doesn't work. I don't think it yeah. works. No, um, you need to much. just relax. Joe Kulak, 
Um, I don't know if you remember his name, but he also ran a lot of hundreds um, back to back, pretty close to each other. And he's like, I just drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I drink beer too. And, uh, you know, and and Joe, but Joe was um, he was a great runner. He was he held the Grand Slam record for a little while, and and you know even the Grand Slam was three or four weeks between races, which is actually kind of far apart, sort of. Yeah. You know, but he's like, no, I don't, I don't overtrain between races. I just kind of keep myself fit. You don't need that extra long run in there. You run six to eight. You run eight miles a day or something like that. That's plenty. I, I need to buy you a beer at some point, Carl. <laughs> at some point in my life, life goal. It just entered my bucket list. Um, <laughs> no, nah, thanks. You know, I like all beer. <laughs> Half of icing, but anything else is good. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. Like with two kids in daycare. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll buy the the cheap stuff. No, I'm kidding. Well, I, I drink a lot of Natty Light, so you know I like the cheap stuff too. <laughs> At least it's light. Um, <laughs> it's too in Utah. It's nice, lighter than light. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm gonna switch gears really quick, and I appreciate all your time. Um, have you ever worn recently, uh, non Hoka Speedgoat shoes? If so, have you? Have you tried any other shoes other than the Speedgoat Hoka's? Um, I, I, no, I haven't. I've only been running Hoka's. <laughs> well, I'm just the truth. But I that's like awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the story of that whole story of Hoka, Hoka changed my life. I mean, when Nico came to me with that duffel bag full of these funky looking shoes in 2010, I was just like, <laughs> what are the, you know, what the hell are those things? And I was running at Las Portivas, and Las Portivas is a great company. Um, so not taking anything away from them, they are. Just wasn't that thrilled with. I wasn't. I didn't really like the shoes all that much. I ran in them because they sponsored me. I didn't really like the shoes that much. But but when I put the Hoka's on, I was just like, these things are awesome. And, you know, that was back in the Mafati days. That was long before the Speedgoat shoe. But no, I mean now I really I love the Speedgoat shoes. The twos, the Speedgoat twos are the ones were eh. Um, I wasn't really thrilled about the ones, but you know, then we remodified things and changed things. But the twos are when I put the twos on, I was like, these are amazing. And, and no, I really don't. I've run in, I ran in the, I've run in the Torrance, I've run in the Challengers, I've run in some other models, but I always get sucked back to that speed go, especially now the twos because they, they're, they're, they're the, for me anyway. I think they're the right drop. They're the, the idea was to put the right amount of cushion in them so you get the cushiony feeling, which I love. I don't, I don't like flat shoes. I want cushion. I've always liked cushion, and the right amount of drop, just the right amount of cushion, so it takes the rocks out of the out of the picture, really. Yeah. But not so much cushion that um, it seems like too much, you know. Um, that was the whole idea behind the shoe. Anyway, that was my sales pitch in terms of like what what we need to find first, and then we needed traction, of course. Back in my Montreal days, um, when I was first sponsored by them in '99, I ran in that Montreal Vitesse, and um, you probably don't remember that, but. That that shoe looked like a casual shoe you'd buy down at um, some shoe store, but what was ironic about that shoe is that it was fatter and softer than everything else on the market. And for some reason, I gravitated to that shoe. And then Montreal stopped making it, and I was devastated because they went back to the sort of the traditional running shoes, you know. Um, and then Hoka came along, and it came along. I was just like, it's a no-brainer because I really love these things, and I didn't care what people thought about when I ran Zane Gray. And in those in those prototypes, um, they gave me some shit. They looked at me and said, "What's on your what? What? What are those things? <laughs> hey, what is this?" And then I fell and broke my arm, and everybody thought it was because of the oh, shoes. The hokas, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't. I mean, I, I was climbing over a dead tree. It had nothing to do with the shoes. Um, but but you know, the thing is, I've always gravitated to using products that I like, 
and and whether or not someone pays me you know whatever amount of money to me it's not about that i mean i will never run for another shoe company focus is carl you're out i'm not going to go apply to some other company and say will you sponsor me too because i i know what i like you know yeah. um, i think a lot of times runners especially nowadays when things are things are different now um we actually get paid a little bit of money to run some of us and you know i believe we're not getting rich but but the bottom line is um i think runners their value isn't as strong when they bounce around to other sponsors all the time just because someone will pay them more and we see we see that a little bit now and it to me it's kind of a shame because you're not really running for the shoe that you like you're running because someone's paying you you know, baseball yeah. players, guy plays for Boston and he goes to play for New York because why they paid him more. Not because he likes New York, it's because they're paying him more. I mean, their salaries are a little different, but <laughs> I mean, they're making so much money, it doesn't matter. You know but, what? And the sad thing is there's a lot of elite ultra runners that are better athletes, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Even the guys that are riding the bench I, I are making a hundred times more. Yeah. Well, I, it's, it's about visual, you know. I mean, it's, it's understandable because... We're not packing in a stadium of 70,000 people. <laughs> no, and that's understood too. I mean, my my best um, compliment ever when I was wearing Speedgoat 2s was at Hard Rock actually in 2017. I think you said nice shoes to me at one point. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, ironically, I think it was like one of your lower points, but I got a, hey, nice shoes, man. <laughs> well, it's funny if I do that. You know, here's another funny. No, story. it was it was awesome. Yeah, and that's cool. I think I go running around. You know, I run the mountains every day in Salt Lake somewhere usually, and I see those shoes everywhere. And and I'll say nice shoes and and whatever to people. But I saw a woman today. I was up on Grander Peak, a local peak here today, and I was stopped, and she came up behind me, and she's like, "Are those hokas you're wearing right there?" I'm like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Yeah, the speed goats." And she was like, I saw three people up this mountain today. They're all wearing the same thing. I'm, I'm tired of wearing these track. I, I didn't have traction devices on. I just don't really need them. So she had them on. She said, these traction things are so heavy. Those shoes are so much better. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, just, you know, I mean, what can I say? Um, I'm the guy that helped, helped develop them, you know, and I had to tell her because she's all happy about just the shoes. She didn't know who I was. But, but, um, but it was really an honor. When people say that, I mean, you know how that makes me feel? I mean, that's like. I have a story almost every day about someone mentioning the shoes, whether it's through social media or some lady on the peak, or I see my friends that are running in them, you know, on some trail. It's it's cool to see that. And when I ran Run Rabbit Run a couple of years ago too, same thing. The <laughs> the fifty mile race was coming in our direction as I was finishing. I was coming in near the end of the race, but all the fifty milers were coming opposite way we were. And I I, I was counting speed goat shoes, and I was just like, I was like twenty one, twenty two, twenty three. I mean, a lot of people had them. That's right when you pass me. Uh. <laughs> so it's cool. You know, I, I, it really is. I mean, for Hoka to stand behind me on that um, is really, it's, I'm not a religious guy, but it's call it a blessing if you want, call it whatever. Um, they have done so much for me. I, you know, I, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I, 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 I think been stockpiling a few shoes too, but the speedgoat's going to be around forever. I think if, so. If they think, if they end it, Hoka will end. I mean, it's it's part of their like core brand. So yeah, yeah. yeah, you should be incredibly proud. And plus, they're really cool colors. So yeah. <laughs> most importantly, um, yeah. they did a great job with it. They really did a good job with it. And you know, when Deckers yeah. took over, they did. Um, they 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 stepped up their game. Obviously, there was more money, but but the bottom line is is they. 
they stood behind me and and did something that no other ultra runner has and and that's his own shoe his own well his own namesake on his shoe or whatever you want to call it you know it's the air jordan of trail running or yeah. it's no comparison to air jordan but you know what i'm saying is like it's it's uh it's funny because I talked to my old buddies about this in the early 90s. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to have your own shoe? And and now it's a reality. Maybe it might be 25 years later, but it actually happened. <laughs> and then for me, it's just it is really an honor to be part of it. No, it's it's amazing. Um, and it's an honor to have you on the podcast. I mean, truly, like you're. Uh, I I looked over your ultra sign up. And the races you have plotted out are like carefully thought out. Mm-hmm. I think you have a victory in nineteen if you're smart about things, and obviously you know how to run a hundred miles. Yeah, um, I hope it comes out. I mean, I, I do. I do sort of plan my races now. I, I go to my strength, which is technicality. Yeah, I noticed um, that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be hilly for me. I mean, it used to be for hills, but hard, hard rock, hilly mountains is better. But Really now it's more about technicality. Lone Star is ridiculously technical, um, so I have an advantage there already. Even if I'm running against guys that are a tiny bit faster than me right now, if they can't run on the rocks, then adios amigos. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that's that's my strength, and it always has been. So Zane Gray was always a great race for me because um, it's really rocky. How do you and, how do you how do you run so well over techie stuff? Well, I, I love it. I mean, I've, again, from limited experience, like, you just run enough of it and your brain just starts processing it and your feet just go where they're supposed to go and you almost don't think about it. Is that how you feel when you're going over just, like, crazy technical terrain? Well, I think that's called proprioception. Is that right? Um, the sixth I sense. Don't know. Yeah, I, think I think that's so. what it's called. Look that up, proprioception. Scott Jurek used to talk about this too, and he's not the greatest technical runner. He's pretty good, but he's not. I can beat him on techie stuff, but but um, the thing about it is, number one, I practice it all the time. This is what I run on every day. So to me, when someone tells me that UTMB is technical, I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's I mean, it, the trails are awesome, um, but it's really not that. If the tra- if the rocks are fixed in the ground, then the trail is bumpy. Yeah. Okay, it's not. The rocks aren't moving. When the rocks are moving and they're softballs and basketballs and baseballs and they're all moving, yeah. that's when it gets tricky. And what I try to do is um, a great uh, tip from Chrissy Mail. She said to me, well, this was a long, long time ago. She's like, simple thing, pick them up, put them down. And, but that's how you have to run on technical terrain is you, t- you want to try to take a straight line as opposed to going you know, around all the little, you know, like around the rocks and stuff like that. You sort of want to try to take a straight line, but you have to be really, really light on your feet. And the only way you get good at that is not by doing a core workout, it's by doing it's by actually running on rocks and you have to be you can't be afraid to take risks um i recommend wearing bike gloves in that case if it's ugly um because how many times have i gone down on my hands I've, I've crashed a lot you know and i've been very lucky with some of my crashes i've gone down hard um i went down hard last year at lone star um but Come on, on Cheryl. one second <laughs> Cheryl, i'll be doing a podcast i'll call you back in a minute bye <laughs> Sorry, no problem. All these things in life, but the whole the whole idea is to just like be really really light on your feet, and you have to. The only way you get like better quicker is turnover is that yeah, like quicker, quicker turnover, cadence. Cadence your cadence has to be solid. The long loping stride really isn't um, that effective on that kind of stuff. I think it's better to just to really um, 
the faster, quicker stride and being really light on your feet. I mean, I come from a skiing background as well. So, you know, I learned how to ski when I was like two or three. So when you ski, you, you're not looking at your ski tips. You're looking about two or three turns ahead. So running on technical terrain, you're sort of doing that as well, picking your line so it's the most effective. Not, you can't be looking at your toes all the time because if you do that, you're just going to be tiptoeing down the rocks and you're going to be passed by anybody who has any reasonable speed. So you have to sort of look ahead and you have to just feel where you're going to step. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to explain because unless you've done it for 25 years, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you can't just go out and run technical stuff and be good at it by just a little bit of a few tips. But you can practice at it if you have the terrain to practice on. And you know, a lot of times I was, I'd run on, um, even if I'd run on a dirt road, which of course is easy, I'll run over the rockiest part of the dirt road, you know, or the, the most technical part of the side of the road or something like that, just to play around in the rocks as opposed to getting on the smooth stuff that might be a little bit faster. That's such good advice. It's like, it's like if you make your training runs difficult in simulate race day, if it's a bad race day, it's just going to feel like training right. as opposed to just training when it's perfect conditions. And then, you know, race day is not going to be perfect and like you're you just setting yourself up for difficulty. Yeah. You can do all the track work you want, but you don't run Zane Gray if you with all that track speed. You got nothing. <laughs> because, because I'm going to run right by you. <laughs> you can't go over the rocks. I mean, that's just um, that's just the truth. You know, you've got to practice that. You've got to practice that kind of stuff. And, and, and again, you know, I'm not against the core workout program or anything like that, but just because you strengthen your core doesn't mean you know where to put your foot on the ground. Um, yeah, I'm not telling people not to do that. I'm not. I'm just. All I'm saying is that, again, I'm just saying get out there and practice it. Really. Ironically, this year I'm like working on core. Like that's going to be my goal. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do some core. I'm getting a beer belly too. I'm. But, uh, I'm. I'm doing some 200s. So like, I need to actually be able to hold form for, you know, multiple days. Um, what. And I appreciate all your time. Uh, last question. I, I have two of them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts on 200s. Has Candace Burt created a monster? Like, you're you're famous for saying it's only 100 miles. Um, is there a 200 ever in your future? And You might see me in Moab. Oh, that'd be so awesome. Um, I, I'm, I'm, thinking, I, I'm not committed yet, but... I'm not committed yet, but um, I, I might running Moab for me as far as like the um the U100 is August 9th so I would have two months before that time. yeah, yeah that, time. Uh, that race alone we could have a whole podcast on um that's under the radar for everyone well and I know Moab very well and so what, what I would do is I'd go down not that I need to scope the course but I'd probably want to learn it just in case I won't make any wrong turns when I'm delirious <laughs> yeah. so um yeah I mean I I love running down in that area and I think um you know, some people said, well, there's a lot of dirt road. I'm like, yeah, well, dirt road at midnight around Moab or South Moab, wherever it is, is pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, no complaints about that. So I'm I'm going to I'm going to go there if I do run it. If I do start the race, um, I'm going to give it all the respect that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to go out and try to I'm not going to say I'm going to try to win this race. I'm just going to go and run the thing. And if I come out on top, then great. If I don't, and I learn something from it, you know, I mean, I don't really know how to run a 240 because, you know, how much do you sleep? I don't know. I mean, I don't know yet. I'll probably sleep when I get tired. Yeah. Um, that's probably what I'll do. Um, but, yeah, I really don't know yet. But that's the beauty of it. It's, it's I don't know. an adventure and an experience that 
I'm still trying to get over myself um, from last year. So, like, mm-hmm. I, it, of all people, you're all about, like, getting out for an adventure and exploring and stuff. Right. Um, and with all your AT experience, I think you could seriously uh, find your niche even beyond the 100 miles, which is right. And I amazing. think for me, older and slower, I mean, that's – it sort of always be like, you know – you're going to still be successful or at least you know, everybody's successful if they finish. So don't get me wrong there. But in terms of like trying to still win or trying to be at the top of the top of the field, it's like, I think I got to go further because <laughs> I just keep getting slower. So I, I mean, I, at the AT was my, the AT I said was the stamp on my career when I got that record. Um, now the record has been broken by four hours, four days again. But, but the bottom line is um, I'm always trying to look at a way to raise my bar, but not for anyone else, but for myself. Um, so I can continue to be inspired to do, to keep getting out there. I mean, it'd be very easy for me to just step back and never run another race again, as long as I had a way to play golf every day. <laughs> um, I would do that too. But, uh, it's, I just like the challenge of, you know, and the two, the 200 to 240 is, it'll be a different challenge for me. It'll be, I'll be a rookie again. And I, I think that's, that's enticing. I was like so excited to hear that. Honestly, like that, that is, I feel like that is, uh, that's the speed goats calling right there. <laughs> so I mean, to be a rookie again, be fun, right? I wish I, I could turn back thirty years. I mean, you, you know, what will be fascinating is to see on a subconscious level how it affects your daily life and how it affects your training. Even though it's you've done the AT like several times, like mm-hmm. you you know how to handle long distance, but from like more of a race perspective, the two forty, um, I think you're going to excel at it. Oh my gosh. Um, and we'll see. <laughs> last, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, last question of the night, and thank you so much for taking all your time. It, it's just an honor to have you on the show, you know, for yeah. any minute of time. How, what advice would you give, even if you're a Mario Mendoza, mm-hmm. you know, elite ultra runner, tour, or even a me, middle of the pack, at best, back of the pack, you know, just trying to finish – what advice do you have for us um, for going after a hundred mile distance? Do you have like just one one last thought on that hundred mile distance? Well, just re- I mean, just remember that who gets to do this shit, right? I mean, it's not about time. It's the the joy and uh, I don't know if joy is the right word, but the satisfaction of finishing that thing um, is over pretty overwhelming. Uh, and once you feel, once you've done something like that, you can, you can probably do anything you want to do. Um, the, behind training wise, I mean, I think I've always preached consistency more than, more than the, more than the extra time on your feet, long run. I think too many people go out on the weekends and they do two back to back 30 milers and all week long they have to recover because they're wasted. Um, it's more important to do seven, eight milers every, you know, seven, eight milers every week. That's just my, that's just my view on training. And always, t- you know, take it with a grain of salt. When you have bad patches, um, you're not the only person having a bad patch. Trust me, the guy behind you, he hurts too. <laughs> and I always tell myself that if I'm chasing somebody, the guys in front of me, like, you know what? Before you know it, you can catch up to anybody in front of you very quickly because they have a bad patch. So you never really give up. Um, Dave Horton always says it doesn't always get worse. I don't really want to use his line, but but it, but you know, it's a great line. And I've told myself that many, many a times on the AT when I was struggling because I wasn't wasn't all gravy out there. Um, you know, Dave would be, hey, it doesn't always get worse. You know, you, you can bounce back. And I had 
plenty of bad days, but I had, but then I bounced back right away because I knew that hey, who gets to do this shit, you know, um, we're putting ourselves in that, in that position, but, um, people are afraid of it and don't be afraid of it. Um, you, you, you know, all you're going to do is learn from it. Whether you get to the finish line or not, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and what you're capable of. And that's, that's what, that's why we do it, you know? Um, cause trust me, no one's making any money doing this sport. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a little prize money at Run Rabbit Run, but that's, you know, that's, that's not about it. That's about it. So you know, the hundred bucks you win or another race, big deal, right? That's the truth. It's like there's, there's, you know, there's no big money in this thing. We all do it because we love it, and whether you're faster or slower, it doesn't really matter. It's it's how you play the game, and if you play the game, that's so just awesome. Keep playing it, and just uh, you know, just give it all you got for what it's worth, and just enjoy it. Carl, we're Thank you for that. That was that was awesome. Um, where can people follow you on social media? Where can they contact you for coaching if you do have open spots? And, you know, where can they sign up for your race? Uh, Coaching-wise, um, carlmeltzer.com. That's pretty easy. Right on the icon, it says coaching services, and then info is all right there. Um, I'm very, you know, easy to get a hold of. That's easy. Um, Facebook, obviously, Carl Meltzer. <laughs> um, I have 5,000 friends, so... I can't accept can't friends. <laughs> I know, but you can like you can like the athlete page and then get the same feed. So it's the same thing. Um, Instagram is Melcher, actually Melcher at Melcher, Melcher Carl, and then Twitter is at Carl Melcher, or I'm sorry, Twitter is at Speedgoat Carl. But I'm mostly on Facebook because I'm old, and Facebook's for old people apparently. So <laughs> where where can people sign up for your race? Yeah, I mean, same, same thing, CarlMelcher.com. Um, okay. There's an icon right there, you know, Speedo 50K, and it's right there. It's all it's on ultra sign up. That's awesome. So that's you know that's easy. Uh, but all the all the real information is on my webpage. The ultra sign up is kind of just the registration stuff. So um, that race is going to be once again, it's going to be a winner. Um, and if you're not quite in for the a hard, really hard 50K, then we have a 28K now too, that's which awesome. is it's all in the exact same course. Um, it just kind of branches off and comes back to the same thing. So um, that race, I think, is going to get get pretty popular. We just had 120 last year, but that was just the first year as a kind of a tester, so it was perfect. It's like a uh, gateway drug, Carl. What are you doing to people? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Want to suffer? Come run speed goat. That's all I got to say. It's um, it's not going to be easy. I'll I'll be there. I'll it's be right. there in the next few years. I'll be there for sure. Well, it's not going anywhere. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Truly appreciate it, and we'll stay in touch. And yep. and obviously, hopefully, I'll see you at Moab, and and we'll have you on the show again. Yeah, right on. It's a pleasure, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks. And that was episode 73. Big thank you to Carl for taking so much of his time. Episode 73 specific sponsor, Prevail Botanicals. Big thank you to them. CBD oil, it's a, a topical that you can actually throw in your pack. So it's it's really cool to have them on board big thank you to season three sponsors so hammer nutrition destination trail ultimate direction in exoskin highly recommend all of them just a pleasure to work with the four of those those companies and they're just huge supporters big thank you to the patreon supporters i always enjoy behind the scenes conversations with you guys on uh, our closed facebook group And yeah, don't forget to enjoy your training. Have fun out there once in a while. It's okay. Talk to you guys next week. See ya.